You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gallieri. Oh, Paul, we're here, and I, I gotta say, I'm I'm very um, humbled today. Um, we were, we were, we were quoted, quoted, referenced? Um, we were honored to be in uh, the latest 10 Club newsletter, and I really appreciate the gang over there in Seattle uh, of just giving us some love for our Josh Evans video. Uh, Indeed, audio, uh, very, very episode. Yeah, no, appreciative, grateful. Uh, hat tip to Josh for for being such a, a wonderful guest and uh, a gracious thank you to uh, the Pearl Jam team for for including us in that newsletter so that that people could hear all the wonderful things that Josh had to share about that amazing uh, production. Exactly, exactly. So if you are new, hello, welcome. If you've been around for a while, hello again, welcome back. If you want even more people to check out this, that you have got some friends or some family who might be interested in this this kind of show where we get all nerdy about Pearl Jam, um, then go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to the show, as Paul always says. Mm-hmm. So eloquently. Feed that algorithm. Gotta feed it. And uh, It's hungry. You. It's going to go on strike, Jason, if it's not fed. Well, we, we wouldn't want that. <laughs> um, of course, big thank you. My, my, my segue moment wasn't much of a segue, I guess. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> We're at 152 now. The the, 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 the high brass stuff doesn't matter anymore. Um, big thank you to our patrons. You guys mm-hmm. uh, help us uh, keep this show afloat. Um, and yeah, I guess, they, oh, if you bought a t-shirt, that's super cool too. Um, we've got a fun episode this week. This is sort of the quasi anniversary episode for Temple of the Dog. Yes. Um, April 16th, 1991, Temple of the Dog is released. And um, in honor of that coming up, we thought we'd talk a little bit about it and then have somebody on who was involved in that whole process. Um, and before we get to them, uh, Paul, this this record... I mean, many of you guys listening know kind of the baseline, the baseline facts of this bad boy, right? So Andy Wood uh, dies of a, of a heroin overdose um, just before Apple comes out in 1990. Um, Chris Cornell is Andy's roommate in Seattle. He's obviously crushed by this. Stone and Jeff um, have been have, are obviously crushed too. They've been, they're working with Mike McCready on the side on some stuff. And then bing, bang, boom. Chris just unloads this material right. on the guys and they're like, we will absolutely help you out in this. I think uh, Chris wrote seven of the songs stone wrote two and stone and Jeff wrote one. And it just became, it wasn't a thing. And then it became a thing. It, it, it for me, it was, it was a bridge between what Soundgarden was kind of doing and a little bit of a success Mookie Blaylock slash Pearl Jam wasn't quite a, well, obviously wasn't a thing yet, but it was like this weird bridge. Like, do you remember this album coming out at the time? When did you find it? Oh God, I don't, I'm trying to remember how I discovered it. I remember buying the CD. I remember having it. 
and playing it in hunger strike just like blew my mind uh hmm. you know there, there was some cool cool bluesy stuff on there that you know i i wasn't quite as into yet i mean i've since come to absolutely adore but yeah, at the time i mean it was a record that felt super groupy i mean it was like whoa hold on a sec you know and mostly because i didnn't discover it in 1991 you know i think i i came you knew about soundgarden being huge and exactly being huge, so. exactly so you know the, the you see that come across and it's like whoa um supergroups at the time were not really a, it wasn't like a big thing you know it wasn't it wasn't like you'd have neil pert come and drum on a led zeppelin album or something you know what you I mean? were a traveling like, wilburys fan at the time no well, exactly so i mean you had crosby stills nash and young but i mean and you know young. back in <laughs> there's not a lot of precedent for this kind of stuff so um it was at least not in my experience so i really really was excited about it and uh hunger strike like i said it was just it, it was an infectious groove it was just a great great harmony great melody um, I thought the dichotomy of their voices, there's just beautiful, perfect complementary sounds with, with Eddie on the low register. Um, and, 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 you know, Chris bringing in that, I guess the falsetto, if you want to call it that. Right. So it was, uh, and it rocked, you know, it just, it thumped. So it was, it was really a melodic gem of a song. And, uh, I, I wish we had gotten more of it, actually. Well, in our discussion with Josh Evans, he he kind of alluded to maybe the guys uh, after that 2016 tour were talking about, hey, what else can we do? And I've, yeah, of course, I that know. what could have been didn't I know. didn't come to be. Um, I do want to talk about Hunger Strike real quick. Any other songs that pop out to this day that really, I mean, say hello to heaven's fantastic. Oh, wooden Jesus, man. Oh, well, yeah. I loved wooden Jesus. I'm a big Your Savior fan. Yeah, Your Savior, great, great song. Um, but those are the ones that stood out the most to me at the time and that I, I still look forward to most when I, I throw that record on. Do you remember, um, uh, why am I blanking on the name of the song? Um, All Night Thing playing oh, yeah. in uh, the soundtrack to Wayne's World? I do, yeah. <laughs> I remember I hearing do. that and being like, why do I know this song? Yeah. And then being like, oh shit, it's Temple of the Dog? Like, <laughs> yeah. And that movie came out in 91. Like, How cool were they whoever the music director was of that film to be like yeah. this song this yeah. is gonna be a good song yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah hunger strike that that was the song that was it was like a magical thing i mean, I mean a lot of people know know the story where where chris is trying to work out the the two different singing um uh, melodies i guess you could say and, and the two different parts and eddie's ha- kind of hanging out in the corner and waiting because he's, he's he's brand new he's like a newborn infant as it were as far as being a, a member of whatever the hell Mookie, Mookie Blaylock Mookie Blaylock, was yeah, you know time. um and just had the balls to go up to the the mic there and be like how about this and, and well, well he heard what Chris was trying to do he was like I, I I was able to figure out what he was trying to do and I just trying to kind of went over there just to help you know I thought yeah. I'd go over there and just kind of do that part and see how it came out and Chris loved it Chris loved it. And, and Ed said about Chris inviting him onto the track officially, that was the first time I heard myself on a real record. It could be one of my favorite songs that I've ever been on or the most meaningful. Yeah. This song, it means way more than what the song, this song is a great song. It's, it's a really cool song. We'll talk more about it later. Um, but the, what it meant to the scene, to both bands, to Eddie specifically, and the, and the trajectory of of what Pearl Jam was going to be, I don't think it could be understated by any means. And I, I think we should bring in our guest um, to talk a little bit more about the visual aspect of this song. 
And to talk more about Hunger Strike is a man who directed music videos for Roger Waters, Bad Brains, Joan Jett, and Pantera, among others. In the summer of 1991, his music video for Allison Chains' Man in the Box premiered. It's Mr. Paul Rackman. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me it's a on. Pleasure to have you, Paul. So, Paul, we're going to get into the heat of the meat here and just get right to it. Um, you directed the music video for T Temple of the Dogs, Hunger Strike. And I want to know, just from the beginning, how did you get involved in the making of this music video? Like, who asked you? Who passed your name along? Was it the Alice in Chains guys? Did that happen after the fact or before the fact? How did it all kind of get going? Um, well, I, I after I did the uh, Man in the Box video, and when that had some success, um, the Pearl Jam guys and Soundgarden were, you know, there was Kelly Curtis and Susan Silver were the managers. Mm -hmm. So they were co-managing um, Alice in Chains, I believe, and this Temple of the Dog and Pearl, you know, Kelly had Pearl Jam. So, and, and Susan Silver was involved because of Soundgarden, basically. So they they came back to me for this video and but it, it was weird because i was i remember i was in los angeles at this company propaganda film so i was in in the building and kelly curtis and susan had come over to talk to me about it and um they said oh we want you to do this it's great so they kind of awarded me the video <laughs> without even coming up with an idea because the issue was the way they um, communicated to me. It's like, well, you know, uh, we're not clear on idea. Um, the guys in Pearl Jam kind of wanted to be in the video physically. You know, they're starting a new band. They wanted to get yeah. some visibility or at least the managers, their managers wanted them <laughs> there to be in. I don't That's know. Because you know? this is because this is before I got to talk to the band. Right. So this is the story that's coming to me in L.A when they're asking me to, to, to make this um, music video. And they basically said, but Chris uh, supposedly was leaning towards just making some kind of little film, something that wasn't, you know, with band people playing music or singing and make it more uh, experimental, a little more ethereal. So they said, okay, you know, we got to figure out a way to, to, to make something with both sides to, in agreement. So they said, we want you to make the video. Just go up there and hang out with them and figure out what to shoot. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what happened. Good direction from them. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, and that never happened. You know, when I look back at it now, it's like that, that never happens really. You know, I mean, they, they you know, they put up some extra money, I guess. To, okay. Send them up there for an extra week or something. And, um, so I was so so I went up there kind of um you know kind of blank minded you know I didn't really have anything clear in my in my head I was you know going to check out Seattle you know how does it feel you know I was going there I was just trying to grasp onto mood you know listening to the song and and then Had you been there before the to Seattle? To um I might have been there once before for some other job so that's kind of how it came together uh, in terms of me getting it, right? So uh, that's how it was put to me. And I was sent up there to, to, to meet the band and, and figure it out with them. So, Paul, you didn't have a lot of concepts in mind. It was kind of an empty blank canvas for you at the time. How was Discovery Park chosen as the setting? Well, um, 
Yeah, that jumps ahead a little bit. So basically, oh, when we I, can when backtrack I got it up if then, you want. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, what? How did we meet? So the the band came over to my hotel. <laughs> they all came to my hotel room, <laughs> and uh, we were sitting around thinking, trying to literally just spitballing ideas. You know, and and Chris was very commanding. You know, he he was already a rock star. He was this was his friend, really, more than anyone's. You know that what the song is about, Andrew Wood, and and but but and it's it's the other guys' band, but it was Chris Cornell's roommate and best friend. You know, so this is kind of there's a lot going on in the room here talking about, you know, what kind of films should we make for, you know, for this guy basically, or how does this fit in? And so we're just, you know, talking about ideas. We had to shoot it in a day, maybe another short day. It wasn't a big budget. Um, and I just started asking, or we started talking about landscape areas like, well, okay, where did you guys hang out? You know, what's cool looking here? You know, I'm all, I'm just kind of trying to take the place, you know, the place and time and, and just throw that around. And that's when Chris said, you know, there's this park we used to go to or, and there's this, this great park. It's right downtown and there's all these different looks. Well, you know, and I go, that sounds great. Let's go check it out. So the next morning we, uh, went down there for a scout and I started seeing it as, you know, um, pieces of locations because literally you would look this, you would look one way, you'd look east and there's like, you know, uh, a lighthouse and a bay and ships and stuff. And then you look west and it's like forest and then there's reeds and weeds. So there was all these different locations. And um, I just talked about this kind of environmental thing of like just, you know, uh, finding this kind of Northwest atmosphere within the song, you know, where is that coming from? And, and just, um, you know, just interpret the song that way with them physically in the landscape. That's what it ended up being. So that's, that's kind of how, and there was a lot of hanging out in between and talking, you know, I, I hung out with, uh, Eddie, Jeff and, um, stone separately than from Chris, you know, another day. And, you know, just kind of all, the tonality of the piece came together. I think that's what happened and it gelled with discovery park. What did you, what did you make of their personalities that, that, that fit them? What was it about those guys? And it could be the group or it could, because you said how the Pearl Jam guys, well, at least the management thought maybe they should be in this thing. And Chris and Matt were like, mm, maybe not. How did, how did they, how did you react to them and how did that influence kind of the direction once you discovered discovery park well uh you know they were all comfortable with the idea you know so there was no um you know once we said that that's what we were going to do it's pretty simple concept you know um so there was everybody was game and when we got there it was really about explaining you know it was really about direction about, okay, we're going to set up here. You're going to be here. You're going to stand here. We're going to, you know, and we're going to play the song through. And, you know, there was a lot of locations. We shot a lot of different types of footage, you know, uh, a lot of different setups. I kept on wanting to move. Let's go here. Let's go there. There's stuff that wasn't used in the original video. There, I mean, there's all kinds of um, 
it was a great, great day. Uh, it really flowed. And, and, and Chris, you know, I remember on the scout, um, Chris was excited about it. You know, he started seeing it and he was really the most vocal one. Uh, the other guys, you know, they were a little shyer. Uh, you know, these are guys who are kind of starting over again. And then Eddie is, is, had only recently come to see, he, he, he'd been there for just a few months, I think. Um, and Eddie at the time was a little shyer. I think he was a little quieter. I remember. You know, it's funny you mentioned that Paul, because Cornell had said uh, at the time of this particular song that he was, he was having trouble with the low parts and, um, Eddie was sitting there in the studio while they were rehearsing and he was kind of looking, I, I guess he was waiting for a, a Mookie Blaylock rehearsal, which is what Pearl Jam was at right. the time. And uh, he, he heard him singing the parts and he said, Eddie just very humbly, but with some balls and quoting him here, walked up to the mic and just started singing the low parts for me because he saw it was kind of hard. We got through a couple of courses of him doing that. And suddenly the light bulb came on in my head. This guy's voice is amazing for these low parts. And then history wrote itself after that. And that's what became of the single. So when you're doing the video, did you feel that um, there was a, a, that that's like were, were, when you were doing the parts with each individual singer, did you were they there together? Like when you were shooting Eddie, for example, was Chris there and vice versa? Oh, absolutely. They, they were watching each other, you know, um, and I did a lot of different types of setups. Um, but yeah, they were watching each other. Eddie, Eddie at first was very uncomfortable with lip syncing because we had to lip sync the song out there. Mm -hmm. You know, you're out there in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, you know, you could do kind of a live recording type of music video with a stage, but, um, you know, so he was really uncomfortable with that. And, and it was, um, it was almost self-conscious in a way. It was just, it just feel, felt weird to him. And I understood that he's very, he was very grounded, artistically grounded. Uh, he is an artistically grounded, uh, person. And, um, so what I did was I, I told him to just not look toward the camera and just pick, you know, pick a point to look, to stare at, to look at, you know, so that you could focus on, on, on the singing without, you know, and give yourself something to do. And, uh, you know, that's the take that's really used, um, you know, throughout the video. Did you shoot it, um, I, for lack of a better word, chronologically? Because when you watch the video, the first time you see Eddie on camera, he is just like a, like a, like a retriever, just staring down something, you know, a thousand yards away to your point. But later in the video, he seems a little bit more self-assured in the way he's performing. Did you find that as well? Well, um, sequential, uh, no, I, I didn't necessarily shoot it sequentially as the song is, um, constructed, you know, like verse, chorus, whatever. Um, but, uh, no, you, you shoot, you shoot for location. You shoot for the most efficient, quickest way to get a, the most shots done in a day. So you start with, um, certain shots, you know, but I had, I didn't shoot the whole song everywhere. I, mm. I picked the spots to go with certain parts of the song for sure. I, I, sp I picked very, very specific spots for, you know, Eddie's portions and the reeds there. I was very specific with, um, some of Chris's stuff on that kind of hill with, with Matt Cameron mm -hmm. behind him. Those things were very specific. 
And I think that, but I think, wait, to get back to what you were saying is toward the end, everything gets looser. It was kind of a crazy day. I remember that day, <coughs> it was very early spring, I think. And um, I woke up in the morning and it was snowing out. It was like snow. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. So we're going to shoot in the snow, you know, whatever. You, just, you know, my thing is, I guess, let's go shoot, see what you get, you know. And then by the time we got there, it stopped snowing and it was kind of overcast. And by the time we were ready to roll, this beautiful, the sun starts peeking through. So it was perfect. And then, um, it rained later and we were indoors shooting stuff. But at the end, what happened was we went into the woods and that was this night shot, right? With, with, it was just mm -hmm. lit, you know, for night. And, um, before we started rolling, there was a hailstorm with like two inch round hailstones <laughs> destroyed Matt's drums. And we had to wait for that to pass. And then we started shooting after. And I think there was this bonfire and stuff. And I think everybody just loosened up there, you know, and just went for it. <laughs> you know, it was nighttime and everything. So there's that crescendo that you kind of see at the end. Which is kind of the peak of the song too, but it worked, I think, uh, with the fire in the woods at night. There was this hailstorm that just happened. You know, you, you get energized by that. I know I was. Yeah, I, I was going to ask if there was that. You know, that when you're filming, if there was that moment, that golden shot. You know, like r that you're looking for, and and you're kind of planning around, and you're like, ah, oh, that I I want to, I want to. You know, this is the mise en scene. <laughs> this is the shot that I want. You know. I, I didn't know if you had that moment. It sounds like that was well, the moment. Well, the, the end, you can right? just feel the energy. Uh, th there's a lot of shots that I, you know, w when I shoot, there's a lot of shots I think of as, as, as I, you know, as memorable that I remember, you know, and I'll, I'll sometimes make note of them. Um, you know, was there an incredible hero shot? You know, that those, those really appear after when you start looking at the footage. <laughs> it's hard to tell while you're doing it. But there's a lot of great, um, there's a lot of shots I really love in that video. Well, which ones stand out to you? Because, I mean, when you're in the moment, you know, you can't, pardon the pun, but you maybe don't see the forest for the trees. And so you're kind of really just uh, right. in, right? And then when you I go mean, to the edit bay and you go, oh, I didn't, that looks greater than I thought it did or, or vice versa. Well, yeah, you do find surprises and... Um, you know, you, you can edit a video, a music video, you can edit it, you know, a hundred different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think tone tonality is important to keep with the tone of the music and, and the sense of it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there were some exciting compositions. I think to answer your question more directly, um, you know, the shot with Matt and Chris, uh, was a composition. But then, you know, Chris really took it to another level. You know, he really performed in that shot, that, that two shot that, that made it, you know, it could have just been two guys sitting there just yeah. like playing, you know, pl you know, playing their instruments instead, you know, Chris made it shine because he was wailing there and his body movement. So, you know, these little moments happen within the, the composition that you're looking for. And when the artist really kicks it up and it's great, you know, the same thing with um, one of Eddie's close-ups. Uh, I could tell really, oh yeah, this is the one. Um, there was a lot of shots like that, that, you know, you try to, you know, you try to set things up so that kind of stuff happens. Well, it just, it's a perfect segue here that there are, there are shots at sunset 
that have Bainbridge Island in the background, especially by the West Point Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those unfamiliar with Seattle, Bainbridge Island, it's just west of Seattle across the, the Puget Sound. That island actually is where Andy Wood grew up. And so I, I, I was, I was going to ask if that was intentional, but it sounds to me like the performance that Chris, that, that you were eliciting, that I, I can't help but wonder if that was influenced or, or motivated by that connection no, for Chris. You know, that shot worked because it looked great. <laughs> Bainbridge had Bainbridge oh, had, you know, it was about what was in front of my my camera, my lens, you know. And you know, Bainbridge had just happened to be in the shot, which was and I and and I think Chris mentioned that either during the scout, you know, he was pointing the islands out to me. Um, but that that was just a great spot that I could have that I could see how it could work that that piece of geography that look the light the 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 depth so that's really you know there there is no um subtle but it's nice that people read into it that way I was just going to say it's a happy coincidence that that yeah. works out <laughs> you know that's so um, kind of yeah. so okay so you've got the the vibe right you've got the performances you got the shots that you want it's it's very very quick you said a day maybe a day and a half uh, when you get to the edit bay and you've got all the footage in front of you, are you super stoked on this? Or are you like, this is going to be great. I love this. Or were you searching for the finale? Um, and it, and it did it basically did it edit itself or did you have to find the edit? No, no the, 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 there's uh the editing of, the, of, of, of this video. Well, actually these videos, um, because there's several versions for yeah. the song, um, is interesting. So, uh, I, you never have enough time, you know, <clears throat> of editing, you know, there's only so much in the budget and everything. And back then, you know, you weren't really, it was all being edited with video from film transfers, mm. but you know, it's not desktop at home. You know, you're working in facilities, you're working at places where there's edit rooms. So all that stuff is budgeted in, you know, so you don't have unlimited amount of time. So, uh, the very first version of the video uh, was much darker and featured a lot more Chris, I believe, at the hmm. time, because <clears throat> Pearl Jam wasn't Pearl Jam yet when I made that film. Uh, they did, no. you know, we had a dinner together with the band the day after, and they had just announced their band name, and they told us at the dinner, yeah, no, our name is Pearl Jam. Um, but I, but did they um, tell you why it was Pearl Jam? Because <laughs> uh, no one really knows. <laughs> No, um, I'll have to think back and remember. We did talk about it, but I, I'm not clear on that yet. We can come back to it. Okay. Um, but um, yeah. So the first, the first, the first set of the original, the original version that aired when the record came out, uh, was a lot darker. Uh, I shot Chris a lot sitting under a table. With a, with a candle on top burning uh there were a lot of close-up takes in, the, in him in in that state and i did that because of just the emotional tone of what the song is about and his lost friend you know it's kind of he's mourning his friend um right. and but i still did all the other shots but the balance of it of that cut was darker there was like leftover food from a meal with two people and all these ants crawling on it there was a lot of d- dark imagery and and that version aired, you know, for the first six months of or 
yeah, it was six months, four to six months of, of the release. And then when, when 10 popped, <laughs> when all of a sudden they're like, huh, um, you know, the early, we need more Eddie, early, not cowbell, the Eddie. Early, <laughs> you know, basically the first single, which was, what was the first single off of 10? Um, alive. Alive. You know, that was getting a lot of traction. So AM, like, you know, let's put more Eddie in. You know, which is basically what that what that cut is. It took a lot of the darker stuff out. And tonally, maybe it was a little too dark initially, you know, but you're still working out the balance of this stuff. And um, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a big budgeted video, and nobody knew. <laughs> nobody knew that this was gonna be some super group thing, you know. So um, so anyway. The second version of the video is the one that went into Buzzbin, the one that went into heavy rotation, the one that features Eddie's close up that I discussed earlier with kind of staring out there. And um, that's the one that everyone knows, you know, and it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. And it really does carry more. Uh, you know, it carries more performance. It carries more star power. I don't know how to describe it otherwise. You I think know, it's you more balanced. Well. Yeah, it's um, it's less uh, it, it's a little less suggested imagery and more mm -hmm. straightforward. These these are these guys, and this is a super group. You know, now <laughs> kind of thing. You know, no, so it yeah. worked, and I and I love that version. When you look back now, I mean, how do you feel about this video and the work that you did being almost like a like a visual bridge between Soundgarden's early success and what Stone and Jeff were doing with Mother Love Bone to then the greater success that Soundgarden had and then just this, you know, massive leap that Pearl Jam ends up taking right. as well? Um, well, for me, so so I came into doing what I do through kind of hardcore punk rock mm -hmm. you know i i started my career with you know making gangrene bad brain music videos mission of burma you know stuff like that um and then that went on to suicidal tendencies and anthrax and you know those were my that was like my early stuff um when i got to la in 88 89 the, the the landscape of you know so now you know music videos is a big deal this is what's driving record record sales now you know so the the business is kind of booming but in terms of what i did you know rock and roll it was totally in this phase of it was in this really awful hair metal phase and you know guns and roses was creeping in um but there was no punk rock there was nothing like that at all really going on at least in terms of you know record companies signing bands that are going to be making videos that are going to play on mtv and that whole routine and you know you're basically you know making a living doing this um so that that's what was going on and i had i had a tough fit with that stuff um you know uh, some of it wasn't my favorite music I wasn't connected with the, you know, a lot of my work, I, I like to have some kind of an emotional connection to, to what I'm doing with it. Um, so I couldn't find a lot of that stuff with bands like Accept. And I'm just trying to remember some of these like 
more hair metal band videos that I did. Um, but anyway, Cinderella. so no, I didn't do Cinderella, but that's the era. That's <laughs> yeah, the yeah, era yeah. that I'm struggling in, to tell you the truth. And when grunge broke, and um, that was the bridge from punk rock. Mm -hmm. You know, all these guys, uh, I mean, when I went up to Seattle and I was hanging out with these guys, we were talking about the Bad Brains and Black Flag and SST records. And, you know, the first Soundgarden record was on SST. And there was a reason for that. You know, that's there's a mindset to that Chris is like, no, you know, I don't want to be on Sub Pop. I want to be on SST because Black Flag was on his SST, you know. Um, and it's going back to early 80s hardcore punk. So for me, musically and and uh, mentally and ethos-wise, I connected with the grunge bands because of that bridge from hardcore punk. Um, so I got it. And, uh, you know, when I saw Alice in Chains play in New York at this small club just soon after their record came out, I immediately the next day called... Uh, they were on CBS at Columbia. You know, the person I kind of, I want to do that. I want to do a video for this band. And that was man in the box, you know, cause I just felt the music. I go, yeah, this is cool. I can work with this. I can work with this stuff and make some, make some good, you know, make stuff that I can feel good about. So then it would, you know, the videos would be good. Just as we get ready to close, Paul, I'm just curious. I mean, you've had the opportunity to, to have an inside look at, at, at some of these wonderful, um, poignant artists that uh, have left us far too soon. Um, when, when you think back to some of these experiences that you had, is, is there any anything that really stands out to you as far as like your personal experience working with folks like Lane Staley and Chris Cornell? Um, well, for Lane and Chris, uh, when I worked, when I did Man in the Box, Lane and I, spoke briefly and he faxed me just these ideas from his lyrics you know about a you know a barn a baby with eyes sewn shut you know which was really the more literal interpretation of a song but but he he really kind of saw it that way so that inspired me to to figure out a way uh to do that video that was that was really different at the time. Nobody was putting bands in farms with farm animals and stuff like that. Um, but that's, that's what came of it. And that was a great, um, you know, the concept, the conceptualization and the realization of that video, which always the hardest thing to do in movies, you know, it's like, okay, I have this idea. Let's see how it comes out on the other end, you know, cause there's a lot of, 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 uh, stuff going on in between you know, with, with teams of people. So, uh, uh, you know, that connection with Lane uh, on that and, and then Chris really, you know, when we were brainstorming ideas, things started clicking with him and he got excited, you know, and when I, you know, when I brought up the landscape idea that we kept coming back to, it's not like we said, yeah, let's do that. I remember, it was like, okay, let's come back to the landscape idea again, landscape idea again, you know, because we kept on going, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Oh, what about the landscape thing again? You know, you're really, it's like a workshop, you know, you're just workshopping these ideas around the room. Um, you know, he, we got excited about it the next day where we said, okay, let's just go scout it. You know, that was the next step. So it's, it's a, it's a, 
you know, every, every single piece of film you imagine and conceive of and shoot has its own path. You know, there's never uh, a one, you know, it's unique to each thing. You know, the process of getting to Man in the Box was different than the process of getting to Hunger Strike was different than the process of doing, you know, uh, you know, uh, a kiss video or whatever, you know. So years later, you have these experiences with these two guys uh, and obviously many others, but these two guys in particular that Paul mentioned, what, what did you what did you think about when they passed on? Each of them, obviously, Lane in 2002, I believe, and and Chris in 2017, having worked with them and, and getting to know them and getting to know what's behind their art because they're explaining to you so you can put it out on, onto the screen. What did you, what did you yeah. feel? Well, you know, Lane, um, <clears throat> you know, it was there, there was somewhat no knowledge that Lane was having. Um, you know, some substance abuse issues, you know, that wasn't uh, an unknown factor. And I think with Lane, uh, for me, I heard about it and I was incredibly saddened, you know, somebody that, um, you know, that you had collaborated with, but I wasn't surprised, you know, it wasn't this, this incredible shock. Oh my God, what happened? Um, uh, but it was really, you know, I think Lane is somebody as much as Kurt Cobain is an incredible loss to rock and roll. Incredible. He had a certain unique voice, unique mindset. His songs had uh, a certain truth to them that was true to himself. You know, he was a real artist. So I, I do think that, you know. He goes in that group for me of Kurt Cobain, John Lennon, and Lane Staley because he was unique. You know, he wasn't trying to be like someone else, really. Um, and uh, Chris was just tragic. I, I think Chris's passing is uh, that shouldn't have happened for some reason. That's how I felt. It was like my, you know, my heart fell into my feet moment mm. you know when i heard of chris i was incredibly sad and sure and you know to be honest you know you work with these people really closely a few times a few years and then you know i went in more into the film business i didn't stay in the music business i'm not really hanging out with them really i mean i'll i'll show up i'll go to a show every so often and see them maybe but there's no there's no ongoing close friendship going on hey man how you doing <laughs> you know um, so there was distance, but still it was incredibly, you know, collaborating on hunger strike with, with Chris was, was really unique and great. He was a really creative guy, passionate about ideas, um, and just really lifted stuff. So that was, that's another sad loss. Yeah. You know, well, Paul, I, I, I appreciate you coming here and, and talking to us about this video. I mean, it was such a, um, a touch point in the, um, Very much. the evolution of the sound that, that you obviously gravitated to from your punk roots and, and us, us quote unquote youngins, uh, growing up and finding this music that spoke to us. And, and that was, that was the moment that 91, 92 was the moment. And you have a very, uh, important, um, piece of the puzzle that you um uh, that you created so we really appreciate you coming on here and 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 
telling us uh, just how it all happened from your perspective. Yeah, well, you know, again, thanks for having me. Um, you know, it was, you know, you, you always think like, oh, did, did I say enough? Did I say everything? We could talk about this stuff forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for having me. It was, it's, it was great talking to you guys. All right. A big thank you to Paul Rackman, um, director of many fine things, uh, music videos, films. Um, he's got some really cool stuff coming up in the next year or so punk rock related which uh, i'm always down mm -hmm. for yeah and um yeah i think we should carry on with this hunger strike thing though paul and do uh go to our lyric of the week so lyric of the week this week of course we're gonna go to temple of the dog this is kind of a new bit for us going outside sort of of the pearl jam world yeah hunger strike i don't mind Also, Hunger Strike, the uh, the only verse repeated by both gentlemen. What do you got? It's so interesting because it's when, when you start thinking of a lot of Andy Wood's lyrics, you know, Temple of the Dog, um, you know, Man of Golden Words. His uh, there was an eccentricity to his lyrics, and there was a mysticism. There's an element of mysticism a lot that and, and flamboyance that he interwove, uh, and, and that kind of created the, the the bedrock for the imagery that really kind of popped um and i think that th this idea of, of like because when i first heard the song i was like what that you know what does it have to do with an actual hunger strike you know <laughs> it's like how come the video isn't like set in india in like the 19th it's like well, i was trying to you know i was trying to like reconcile yeah exactly i was yeah. i was thinking too literal about it at the time i mean i, I don't know how old was i back then man? i was oh yeah <laughs> middle school babies I mean, so yeah just as a child um so when I when I start thinking a little bit about these lyrics now, um, and this idea that I, I I'm going hungry, that you're you're just you're you're choking on loss and and you're mourning for something that you can't have, and it's uh you know you can't feed on the powerless when your cup's already overfilled. Um, there's a, a profound element of reflection i think in these lyrics and I, I thought that it was really interesting that this song was meant in some ways as a eulogy to andy wood and it's not an on the nose type of song um and and it comes then goes it's it's, yeah, it's so hmm. it's such an interesting sister song when you think about it because the, the, eddie would end up doing the very same thing one day or so we 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 believe yeah um and 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 write a song that in many ways appears to be eulogizing his friend who who allowed him to to guest on this this beautiful song and uh 
it's and I, I think both songs are um somewhat evasive in in their attempts to do that it's not like candle in the wind you know i mean it's <laughs> elton john was like it's Marilyn. it's <laughs> hmm. uh, i think in this case it was very much shrouded in, in kind of feeling and uh you know um the metaphor here was was strong for chris and uh it, it just kind of goes to show you how creative he was and imaginative he was as an artist at the time to put lyrics together like this that i mean you had no idea what the heck the song was about at the time. You know, I don't, I think many people did read into it literally, you know, mm-hmm. unless you really knew the backstory. And so I think that kind of allowed it to kind of be its own living organic thing. And in that way, there's something poetic about it because Andy's gone, but the, his spirit of this friendship, this relationship, this human, this essence of spirit, it lives on through this song and it, it becomes something else. And it's not necessarily anchored by who Andy Wood Andy Wood was, and instead, because the song has takes on a life of its own, in a lot of ways, it's almost like a uh, I don't want to say a resurrection of sorts, uh, but hey, in terms of uh, the, the, the you know, if any of our listeners are uh, you know of, of a certain religious um, mindset, you know, I suppose that there's an apropos connection there, time, timely one at least. Um, I don't know. So th- th- those are some of my blanket thoughts here. I think, uh, you know, this is a song that I, that I, if I recall, Chris didn't really know what to do with because he had written reach down and say hello to heaven. And they were very much like that. Those were the first two songs that came out of him after Andy's death. And this was one of the last ones to make the record. And I think that he used his feelings that, that obviously were very directly on those first two songs and I think he put together a, if you want to call it a story or or narrative, in these lyrics that is able to be more malleable, um, and 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 almost like it's sort of like a subtext for me uh-huh. because on some things that I've read about Chris in, in this particular song, he mentions stuff like you know when Soundgarden was young. In their infancy, they they were really fighting for label attention, kind of like a bidding war. Right. And this song was, in some ways, staying true to himself. And, and no matter what money and success came their way, a reminder to stay grounded. Um, and I think about Andy right. Wood, and he wanted to just leap off the ground and be this star, right? Mm. So I think there's a fun interplay there. He wrote it for himself. But he was able to write about a topic that can be, you know, applied to a much more macro setting um, than just the micro of of what Andy meant to him or his band meant to success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this can be taken personally by anyone. Uh, and this is what great songs do, right? They can have multiple different meanings. But why is it that some people can just never have enough? If we want to go down that route, you know, why is it that a certain that at a certain point, in order to get more, you have to take someone else's. And that's the thing about Andy is he didn't need to take anybody else's. He 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 wanted everything, but he didn't feel the need to put anybody else down in the way. I think this is the, this is the bridge between Andy and maybe the, the macro point of view that Chris was going for. What is with the lack of empathy? What is what is it about greed that has such a stranglehold on American capitalism in, in, in particular? You know, Gordon Gecko said greed is good. In the movie Wall Street, no, I, I disagree. Greed is not good because greed implies success at all costs, and that doesn't work for me. 
know, there's no morality in that. And when we lose our morality, we're lesser than simple animals. Maybe that's too idealistic. Maybe that's naive, but it, it's how I feel. And some have written that these lyrics are maybe, if you think about it purely in that way, a touch cringy or too on the nose in that way. I see how that could be perceived that way. But I think for what he was feeling at the time, for what he was feeling about his band and the situation they were in, and for who he was writing about overall in the, on, on the album and, and where his headspace was and what Andy meant to him, what Andy was going to be being successful without having to be amoral about it. I think there's a connection there, both personal, micro, and macro, that is very much below the surface. People who want to say that this, this song is like, ah, it's, it's silly, I'm going hungry, bread on the table, blood on the table. Again, one of those songs, if you, if you think a little bit deeper, if you think about the context of where Chris was at, at the time, I think it's something more going on here. And I think it's a greater song than people give it credit for. Well said, completely agree. So with that, let's get down to uh, the best live version of this with our live cut of the week. Ready? All right, so live cut of the week for Hunger Strike. Man, only played 22 times in total, according to our friends at livefootsteps.org. Mm-hmm. Only nine of them with Chris Cornell, a bunch with um, Corinne Tucker from Slater Kinney. But listen, mm-hmm. if we're doing live cut of the week, it's got to have Chris it's on it. It's got to have Chris on it, yeah. Right? And to our knowledge, only two have soundboard quality audio. It really narrows it down. There are some great performances. There's a couple from early 92, 91. You can barely tell what's going on there. I right, yeah. Not great. Um, 2003, the first real reunion, Santa Barbara Bowl. Mm-hmm. Good performance. Audio quality, not so great. So then you got two, Paul. And we were hemming and hawing on this. Which one are we going to go with? Well, the, the the Santa Barbara version, I think, is uh, it's one of the better performances. But you, you got to have the quality, I think. For this and uh i do love the september 11 2011 cut it's really really good but september uh, third uh, sorry september 3rd pardon me um but for nostalgia reasons we're gonna head to uh the gibson amphitheater on october 6 2009 <laughs> Blood is on the table, the mouth's out soaking, but I'm going to 
So th- this performance, yeah, like we said, there's two soundboards. One of them is this one, and the other one, uh, PJ20, East Troy, Wisconsin from 2011. And by the way, that wasn't a traditional bootleg. Basically, you had to get the super deluxe Temple of the Dog packaging from 2016 to get it as a DVD and then rip the audio so you, right, right. five degrees away to get that to get that option. But man, there's a there's a lovely personal story about this one. I mean, it, but hey, listen, it's a fantastic performance. You just heard it. Chris is out of his fucking mind at the end. Oh, of the it. ending too. I mean, oh my goodness. What what is it about this for you besides that performance that just is so powerful to you? Well, a it's, uh, they did four shows at the Gibson, a small mm-hmm. small show, and uh, you know tickets weren't cheap. And uh, I had tickets to the first two shows with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided to make sure that I had tickets for the last night. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, you know what, man? Um, I just don't know if I could see them four times. It's just four four straight shows. It's, it's kind of breaking the bank at the time. And I, I've seen two two killer shows in a row. I think I'm going to sit this third night out and see, you know, see if I can <laughs> rally rally for the last one. You know, yeah. some scrounge up some change. <laughs> And uh, that's the one that I missed. Was, was so you didn't, was this, you this didn't epic see this performance? performance. Nope. Uh, and it was on. It was a dream song that I had always. It was like on a bucket list of, of songs, and with him on it, you know, yeah. him him popping out of the crowd to sing it one day. It was, and I missed it. So it's uh, for for that reason, it uh, has a special place in my heart. You were there, I so was. I guess I was there by proxy. I don't know. <laughs> you were one one degree, Paul. Yeah, one, one degree. degree. Not, not yeah, exactly. You will you will never live it down that you that you didn't say nope. Hell with my credit card debt. I'm going to spring for this fourth show. In retrospect, one of life's bigger regrets. So, yeah. Hey, we all have our Pearl Jam regrets. We all have shows we wish we had a, would have pulled the trigger on and we didn't. Uh, but, yeah, this would have been uh, one to maybe go to. And that building no longer exists. Yeah. So, there's that. Yeah. 
If you um, hadn't heard this version before, let us know what you think about it. Um, I think a, a, many of you probably have heard the uh, Pearl Jam 20th anniversary show edition. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in soundboard. Go check that out. It's available on mm-hmm. YouTube if you want. Um, yeah. Hunger Strike. Hunger Strike. This is one of those bridge songs that's, you know, on the periphery of, of the Pearl Jam universe. But you know what? We're, we're spreading out. We're, we're like the, uh, what's the, what's the thing that goes to Mars? What's that thing called? The lunar um, module? No, uh, the rover. The rover. The rover. Yeah, well, yeah. we're like that rover that just you know, it's, it's just we're just discovering stuff on the edge there. That's yeah. what we're doing. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, we appreciate you guys listening uh, to episode 152 and uh, to any other episodes you may have listened to. Tell your friends. And you know yeah. what's the best way that their friends can find out about the show, Paul? By rating, reviewing, and subscribing on their preferred platform of choice. There or it is. just becoming a patron and hearing it directly from us whenever you <laughs> feel like it. <laughs> All the time. Hey, dropping the show, episode uh, 19, I think, just mm-hmm. came out. So that's fun content for y'all. Episode 20 coming out very, very soon. Um, thanks again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to Paul Rackman for coming on the show and yes, talking about the Hunger Strike video. And uh, we'll see you next time with maybe a little... Uh, little review and little look back at uh, the Mopop in Seattle because me, Jason, one of your hosts here, will be in Seattle this weekend um, checking out the Mopop for the very first time and the closing special party on Friday night. So uh, Paul will turn the tables around and interview me about what the hell is going on. Oh, I can't wait. And, and, I'm, I'm uh, going to freeze you. What do you. How do you feel about um, me going to uh, Discovery Park? with my wife and filming us lip syncing the song. She'll be Chris. I'll be You Eddie. must do it. You have to It'll do it. It'll be good content, right? Hashtag content. It would be great content. Okay. okay. Well, yeah, we'll do, do, we'll just, do that. Just do one more thing without me. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You're always, you're, your spirit's always inside me. Exactly. Okay, we're getting creepy now. All right, we'll see you next week. And until we do, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. The State of Love and Trust.